or just or not and just make these crazy ass predictions maybe they're coming out with a clear macbook pro and they're <laughs> gonna stick it to samsung because they beat them to the technology welcome to the react native nerds podcast i'm spencer and i'm john join us as we dive into topics you need to know about to become a better developer Hey nerds, welcome to React Native Nerds episode number 18. And today we're going to be discussing authentication workflow and how you can set up your app. Joining me as always is Spencer Carley. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I, I've got the low stress levels for the both of us. How are? Uh, how, how's it going over there? Oh, I'm really glad that your stress levels are low. Not jealous <laughs> at all. So, like, I'm a pretty laid back guy. If you haven't gotten that before, you know, I'm my stress level. I have a friend that always IMs me and um, she's like, stress level, question mark, you know, after <laughs> I've talked about something that's going on. And so it's just like this normal thing in my life now. So I'd say I'm like at a six, five, maybe a seven. And I'm normally sub two. I'm pretty laid back with stuff. I can pretty much watch shit go down around me and be like, yeah, all right, cool. Um, but that is not the case now. <laughs> so, yep. looks like, uh, we're 20 days out and, um, I'm starting to realize how much stuff is still here <laughs> and has to get packed up right. on top of work. You know, I mean, I'm working normal 40 hours a week and then, you know, running around crazy at night and on the weekends. Yeah. It'll all be through soon enough. Yeah. Um, so in the sound in sound booth news, because I know you're all really <laughs> concerned about my well-being and more so of my MacBook Pro. Uh, when I was cleaning out one of our guest bedrooms, I found some egg crate foam, which doesn't break anything unless I guess you have like a two ton roll of this stuff. So I have this wrapped <laughs> around me right now and we're going to see how this sounds, because if this falls over, nothing is going to break. That's good. And I probably won't need to bleep out my cuss words. So. <laughs> But yeah, so how are things with you guys? Yeah, it's good. Uh, we kind of had a, an interesting moment last night. We had a, a kitten just show up on our front step. And um, w- my girlfriend and I, huge animal lovers. I mean, we've got a, a zoo in our house with three cats and a dog. But no more animals are allowed in this house. So uh cat was a little sick, so we had to take care of it over the night. And we've since dropped it off this morning. And... All, all is well now. Just along the side of the road? No, no, no. So she volunteers at the animal shelter uh, in our county. So she knows people there. And I mean, they, they take in stray cats in general. So we just took them over there. Um, cat will get medical attention it needs. And I'll, I'll be good to go. And I imagine we'll see it up for adoption in the next few days. Nice. Did you name it? Did she uh, name we it? Named it? We named it Doofus. I felt kind of bad about that, but it was just the vibe we got from the cat. Nice. <laughs> That's fantastic. How's uh, your online workshop progress going? It's going pretty well. I started recording this week in between the, um, the the roofers just outside of my office. I try to get like two words in before they hit another nail into the roof. Um, so it, <laughs> it's, it's a little, it's challenging, but you know what? It feels good to be recording. And should be working on that soon. Or should re- be releasing that soon. Great. Outside of the move, do you have any anything fun you're working on? Or I'm not going to say projects, but it's yeah. like you're packing everything up. Yeah, work is going really well. I'm doing some neat things with there with that. And 
were sort of rebranding or rebranding the company. The name really was sort of ran not random, but it was the name of the street that the first office where they you know <laughs> they founded the company, whatever. And so it really has no meaning now because it's not even close by there. And since nice. we're an AI company, um, we'll be branding as nearly human. Okay. Because we have a lot of software that's acting human-esque and whatever. So there's a lot, of, there's rebranding going, there's new UIs being blanketed across all of our products in the suite and stuff. So I'm, I'm helping orchestrate that. We're having a lot of really, really deep UI discussions and stuff. I love that crap. Mm. And so I'm more taking a role in product development and overseeing you know, the development of all of our suite and stuff. So that's really cool. That's, that's nice. fun. That's fun stuff for me. I yeah. am also writing code. I'm continuing to work on our assistant and adding uh, really cool stuff. I don't remember if I mentioned this last time. Usually I remember what I've said on podcasts, uh, but I've added context. So as you type, uh, she can pick up on nuances in the sentence. And if there's details that she needs to know about, um, her name is Eve, by the way, so that's why okay. I call her a she. And um, if there's details that she needs to know about, she'll follow up with other questions and ask and sort of flesh out that sort of stuff, which is super important when you're dealing with a a user with like a computer issue, as an example. You know, they're like, email doesn't work, or I can't get into this app. Well, does that mean when you launch the app it's blank you launch the app and there's error you log in and you get a password problem error you know what does it mean you can't get in you know that sort of stuff so mm -hmm. uh, the assistant will continue to ask questions until it has enough information to actually attempt to help or until it reaches a specific threshold and it can't help and knows i need to pass you off to a human so that's okay. the that's the whole other thing like i'm she needs to know when to get out of the way and connect, you know, human to human to get the problem resolved. So it's just a lot of fun. There's a whole lot of planning. I've drawn so many diagrams, just pen and pencil. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's just great. It's a whole lot of fun. Nice. That's cool. So jumping from all of that into some mobile news, Samsung has a really, really cool thing coming up. And, they are developing a transparent smartphone. Yes, transparent. <laughs> now, there's no pictures. There's some mock-ups, and, and basically it's what you would think. It looks like this smartphone-sized piece of glass that has a little bit of tint to it and is leaning on something, and you can see that something, you know, luminous through. So they have, I guess they submitted a patent last august or something and now there's some more action on that patent or whatever so that's why it's sort of emerged and they say uh, let me look here the same tech can be used for tvs monitors laptops and so on so as a basis for this the company is using an oled display it's characterized by low power consumption high brightness and fast response time which is just really what we all want in a phone anyway, right? So this is going to be cool. This might be my tipping point, people. If Samsung comes out with this, I may jump ship on an iPhone because wow. this is some really cool tech. <laughs> and it has a transparent luminous display panel, 
through which light can shine. That's a quote from, from the website. And so you can display content on it and light still comes through. Now I can imagine that's going to be a whole nother UI paradigm because are you going to have the text change color? So, you know, I mean, forget light mode and dark mode, right? Cause it's clear. So if you're, if you're reading and holding it up to a dark wall, does it sense that wall and change the text to lighter so you can actually read it? Like I can see some, some potential almost accessibility issues with this, but it'll right. be really cool. I mean, it's, it's kick-ass text tech, you know, let's be honest. That'd be really cool. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see. I, I guess I haven't seen the mockups, but like, does it have bezels to support the screen and how does that interact with the? No, no. It, I mean, well, yeah, the mockup is just a mockup. I have no idea what it's actually going to do, but it looks like it is just a piece of glass with rounded edges. So you don't cut yourself. Huh? So where's yeah. the actual, like, like the computer part of it? I don't it? know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's in the base. Maybe there's a base part of it that isn't translucent. I, I don't know. Okay. I'm not sure. Yeah. It'd be kind of cool if that part was translucent. Oh, it would be. Yeah. And you could see all the, the circuit board and all that. That'd yeah. be really neat. Yeah. But, you know, I might be end up, end up as a an Android person after this phone comes out. I'm sure it's going to be crazy expensive, though. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so in epic news now, because the way we record and then when our podcasts come out, that sort of thing. We staggered a bit on this announcement, but Apple has indeed terminated Epic's game developer account. And I'm not talking the ability to push apps. It has completely disabled their ability to log into the Apple's developer portal. Hmm. So Epic can now no longer download the latest up to SDKs. They can do nothing with iOS or Mac OS. So those poor users are left out in the cold where the rest of humanity that plays Fortnite and uh, those other things, uh, those other games, Epic actually has a couple other games as well. Um, you know, they, uh, they'll be able to play those on other platforms. So this is, you know, I was reading down through this and at first I was like, oh, you go Epic, you stick it to Apple. And then I'm reading down through and I actually have come around on this because Apple states very, very clearly up front the terms and conditions, the rules, and the repercussions. And they gave them the allotted time to make it right. They followed through multiple times with plea, not pleas, but asking them politely to change and informing them of the violations, et cetera, et cetera. So, that, I mean, Apple has just gone by the book on this. So, unfortunately, Epic has been kicked out. You know, and it's really their own fault. So I've flipped on this. At first, I was siding with Epic because, you know, they were sticking it to the man. But now I'm like, eh, I totally get Apple's side. So, right. Yeah. I guess Epic got to the point where they were so big that they thought, you know, the size of Epic and Fortnite that maybe they could strong arm Apple. But yeah, nobody strong arms Apple in the end. Yeah. And the comments were, <laughs> were pretty funny. So, most of the comments side with Apple on this just because whatever, every once in a while you'd have somebody with Epic, but somebody is like bluff called you know? <laughs> <laughs> and oh my gosh, they're like headshot and, and all the, it's just so funny. The comments are great. I love the uh, internet. Yeah. <laughs> it's always good. 
Um, and then one piece of information I have, and by the time this is uh, this podcast is released, this event will already happen, but Apple has an event on September 15th, and you'll be hearing this when the event's already happened, but me right now uh, just thinking about it and like reading the, the rumors of what this event will actually cover, uh, it's possible we might see our first Apple Silicon-based MacBook or MacBook Pro coming out, which we talked about a few episodes ago, so that'll be interesting to see if, if that actually starts coming out and we start seeing that transition from Intel-based processors, processors to Apple-based processors, and I'm excited for future me to find out. That's really cool. Two things come to mind that we should probably do a better job at looking a couple weeks ahead at events <laughs> yeah. so we can announce them ahead of time. <laughs> right. Or just or not and just make these crazy ass predictions. Maybe they're coming out with a clear MacBook Pro and they're <laughs> yeah. gonna stick it to Samsung because they beat them to the technology. No, we know <laughs> Apple kill will the invent. Keyboard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Apple will invent the clear phone, you know, in a couple of years. Right, yeah. That's really interesting because I I had heard rumors about them building their own chips. And I would think, I I don't know, that could go either way. That could be really, really great for them because they can spin off chips and they would be 100% custom. But then they're 100% custom. And I feel like you're almost getting into uh, like the IBM sort of world where everything is custom and nothing is fixable unless you're blessed by, you know, the vendor's holy water or something like that yeah but i mean like is anything made by apple at this point fixable at at all (laughs) okay touche (laughs) yeah so i don't know it'll be interesting because i've been reading about it um i don't know i'm not a big hardware guy so i don't really look into hardware stuff until like i need to upgrade um and it's interesting seeing like i didn't realize how powerful ipad pros are they've got like eight core processors in them and they're just destroying what intel can do Mm. on these tablet-based processors and then basically everything that isn't a mac is running apple silicon already um seeing like what they be able to accomplish on these larger devices with more uh, power and everything the big thing i'm curious about and again i don't know jack about hardware but how like you know my 15 inch macbook pro has an external hard drive which i use quite often or not external hard drive Uh, like a dedicated GPU. How will that work? Like, will they work with NVIDIA or um, whatever the other GPU manufacturer is? Like, how will that integration work? Will Mm -hmm. there even be dedicated graphics cards anymore? Um, Because plenty of people edit video on their MacBook Pros. How's that all going to work out? So it'll be interesting to see how we get our our first step into this new uh, Apple-owned processor. Yeah, that's right, because in the AI world, you can also get external GPUs hooked up to sort of offload a lot of the training workhorse processing power off to those. So, yeah, that'd be they would they would have to. Yeah, I can't imagine they would get rid of of that. It's I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, it's well, also interesting to see just like how powerful <laughs> the, the iPad Pros were. I'm like, geez, you know. If I wasn't writing code and having to interact with this, um, there's just a possibility I could just replace my setup with an iPad Pro instead. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. So jumping over to authentication flows, um, this is one of those things where like you know, all of our apps have this or some 
form of authentication or authorization. And it, it can be a pretty complex thing because there's so many things to do. There's the, you know, what is the UX around it? Um, how do I actually store tokens? Do I use tokens or a cookie-based authentication? What do I use to actually manage things on the back end? All this stuff. Um, so today we're just going to take one slice of that and just kind of like, you know, just on the mobile side, how are we going to handle authentication? And I need to preface this by saying the way I've always done authentication on mobile is via um, JWTs or what is it? JSON web tokens. I think that's right. Mm -hmm. um, versus cookies. I've never had success with cookie based authentication on React Native and I should say I've never really tried. Maybe when I first started with React Native, I tried it. didn't work. So basically everything I've done is using JWTs, and that's basically what all of this discussion is going to be based off of. Yeah, I think everybody does that. Everybody starts with cookies because cookies are easy, especially if you're right, exactly. the web. And you're like, JWT tokens? That sounds hard. I don't want to do that. And then you do it, and you're like, oh, okay. So yeah, it's exactly. Not, it's not difficult, people to implement JWT tokens. No, it's not. And after this episode, you'll know exactly what to do with your token, how to securely store it, and basically depending on how you do your authorization, be it GraphQL or REST APIs, basically just take that, plug it into your request, and it's going to work. It'll work just like a cookie. There's just a step of having to store that token and just manage it. So um, first off, I guess, is looking at the navigation structure. Basically, there's going to be that moment when someone first opens the app and you need to determine, is this a user? Is this is this not a user? And if you don't know this, I use React Navigation for all the navigation I get to choose in React Native. Basically, the way React Navigation works is with a stack navigator, you can say, in addition to just rendering a bunch of screens within your navigator, you can conditionally render different navigators. And the way I like to do it is I conditionally render basically each state of my app gets its own navigator. So user first opens the app, code launch. I'm going to land them on a loading screen. And typically this loading screen, it's only going to be up there for a couple milliseconds. If possible, it's just going to be a blank white screen. I like my UIs to be white so that I don't have to deal with any flash um, that you may have seen like between a splash screen and the app, the app actually launching. So I try to set my app up for my initial screen to at least have a white background so I don't have to worry about that. That's kind of beyond the point though. So I've got this loading screen and then this loading screen is going to have the logic to determine do I have a token installed or not. If I have a token installed, I'm going to say uh, basically flip a flag that say okay this user is authenticated or we assume that they're authenticated and then they'll go into the, the normal app screen, the normal app navigation and basically at that point, I'm probably going to make some request and figure out, are they actually a, a valid user? So this loading screen is just checking, do I have a token that looks right installed? And basically with that, you can also check, okay, is this JSON web token, has this expired or not? This is all stuff we can do locally. And once I've done everything locally to determine as best as possible, are they a user, are they not a user? That's when I'm going to send them either to the app navigation or to the authentication navigation and once they're in the app navigation is when i'll check with the server is this actually a valid token on the server can they do stuff with it um, and then authentication workflow that's where you're going to see you know the sign in sign up reset password forget password 
or forgot password, all that kind of stuff. Now, with that, you may be wondering, okay, I've got this loading screen, I've got an app stack, I've got an auth stack. There's a lot of different places that someone can change whether they are or are not signed in. And basically, I store that basic information. So uh, basically, all I store in an active session is the token so it's easily accessible and whether they are or are not signed in in this global state. I typically use context. You could use Redux for this. And then that global information is going to be stored above my navigation. And I can basically subscribe to that context or that global data store to determine, do I show the loading at or off screen? And basically, I keep it really, really simple, all the authentication stuff, and I just keep the minimal amount above the navigation available so that I can figure out and switch between these states really easily from anywhere within my app without having to do prop drilling or pass things down through navigators and screens, down to components and all that stuff. If I just keep it in that global data store, it's easy to flip it and change it and then show the appropriate navigator. Yeah, that makes sense. How would you, and if this is later, I apologize. I was trying to scan the notes while you were talking. Uh, how would you deal with a timeout issue? So if, you know, for example, if you didn't want somebody to sit on a screen, maybe it's a banking app or something, you know, for 30 seconds or maybe two minutes or something like that without any sort of action. Yeah, that's a good question. So the, the way I've in Spectrum, the app I spend most of my time working on, we basically download a, a chunk of data and that can take a few seconds. And the way we do this is basically if there's a timeout, you can defer that update and it'll continue to assume that you're authenticating everything. And that works for that security model. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, yeah, basically what I've done is just, if, if data is really private, or securities of utmost importance. Basically, I just kind of kick them out like, you know, there was an issue or couldn't sign in, whatever, and then put them through that authentication process again. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't done too much on the like super secure side. So it, it just, it depends. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, I was thinking, I know you can, you can make JWTs, you know, timeout and that sort of thing, but then you're going to have to be validating that in the app. Yeah, I'm doing something on the web and that's why, you know, and we're using JWT tokens for that. And every single request I make, I have to, I guess I have to go get a token and then make a request. And, hmm. you know, the, there's a timeout, there's a, a timestamp associated with that. So then there are certain, yeah, it's just super complex. There's certain screens and things that, you know, will time out if you sit on them and other ones that won't. It's just, it's kind of bizarre, but I was just yeah. curious. I mean, the basic workflow is here, you know, as you're describing it, that's probably another level. Right. Yeah. That's the thing with authentication is like, there can be just so many like edge cases or I don't know, things like that. So something um, that reminded me of is I have had an app I've worked on where basically you would have a token you would make requests with and that token would expire i think it was like every hour or something mm -hmm. so in addition to having that one token we would also have like a refresh token which we could send to the server to the dedicated api and then that would send us back a new token to make requests with 
for the next hour or whatever it may be. And yeah, basically with that workflow, I think I actually had someone ask about this in the React Native School Slack recently. Basically like, I don't know, if you see that the token's expired and you need to go and refresh it, somehow figuring out a way to pause that request and any other request so you could go and make that refresh token request, get the new token, save it. And yeah, it just it can get so complicated so quickly with authentication. Yeah. It's like it's one of those reasons where we're using something like Firebase or you know, a pre-made backend. It makes it nice and easy. Yeah. So next up is like, okay, once I have this uh, authentication token or this refresh token, where do I actually store that in React Native? And I have to say this is something I've been very bad about in the past. And typically I've tossed that stuff into async storage. It's an easy way to persist data between sessions. You shouldn't use async storage to be storing your tokens or any authentication stuff or passwords, whatever. Don't do as um, I do, do as I say. Right, exactly. Like <laughs> this is an issue that I have. I'll probably be taking care of today in Spectrum to migrate this. But um, basically there's a package called Expo Secure Store. And Expo Secure Store is going to tap into Keychain or whatever the similar thing is on Android to securely store your password and whatever. And that's that's the way you should be storing your information. Another benefit of this, which I was not aware of, is this token will actually persist between not only sessions of your app, but also between your app being deleted and reinstalled. So if someone were oh, wow. to download the app, sign in, and then delete the app and then download it again later on, you can actually basically sign them back in if that token is still available. And Expo huh. Secure Store allows you to do that. Um, I actually saw that with the Instagram app because basically like I delete all social media apps during the work week so I can actually focus. And whenever I would download the app again, I'd still be signed in and I never understood how that worked. So by using Keychain is a way to do that. And I should also add on Expo Secure Store, because of Expo's universal module push that they've been doing, Expo Secure Store works not only in Expo, but also in a standard React Native CLI app. Sweet. Yeah. Wow. Why would you not use it then? Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it. and the other side is like, it's got pretty much the exact same API as async storage. So like, you know, you're only storing a few pieces of sensitive data. It'll take you. 15 minutes to swap out async storage for secure storage and everyone benefits from it. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you could use this for not token storage. As right. Well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Any sensitive information that you want encrypted, secure store is the way to do it. So looking into kind of a complicated edge case, it's not complicated. It's a user expectation, but people forget passwords. I know uh, for a while, my girlfriend's strategy was come up with some random password, forget it, and then just reset the password when you have to to sign back in. How does that work <laughs> for a mobile app? Uh, I, I don't know. She she uses not, a not a really manager. bad strategy. Yeah, it's it's just like using Slack's sign in through email. Um, right. It just ah, it annoyed me. <laughs> so it's a good thing she doesn't listen to this. Oh, she's she's on the other side of the wall right now um, in her <laughs> office. <laughs> see if I get any dirty looks. But, you know, with a workflow like that, or just someone who just forgets their password, whatever it may be, the question you got is, when they forget their password, do you have a web app that they can go 
reset their password, they have that token that's sent to them in their email, send that over to the web where they can then reset their password because they've demonstrated they have access to the email to the account they're trying to sign in. Or do you want to try and handle that in the app? And these tokens are not easy to remember typically, they shouldn't be. Um, so you need to think, okay, if they press this button in the app, then I need to transfer that to, or they press the button in their email, in their email app, and I want it to open up the app. And I need to pass this token along. Well, if you do that, or you want to do that, then you've also got to set up deep linking. Deep linking's not complex, it's just, it can be a little intimidating. And when you do that, you've also got to think, okay, when they press that reset password link in their email, we need to make sure we send the token over and we also bring them to the correct screen that knows what to do with that token and to give them the ability to reset their password. So consideration, if you want to set up a 100% mobile app, you're going to have to also set up deep linking to enable that reset password, forgot password, those types of workflows. And check all of our podcasts because we actually did an episode on deep linking. Yeah, exactly. React Native Nerds, that's a learn everything you need to here. Okay, so final thing I want to cover is what happens when a user loses their authorization status. Token expires, they've been kicked out. Um, what else should you do? First thing, again, I've been bad about this, actually make sure you delete that old token so that they, like I was saying earlier with the navigation status, that when they first open the app, instead of the loading screen saying, oh, there is a token saved, put them into the app, then they have to wait for that server response to say, oh, no, you're not actually authenticated. Just delete the token when they lose authentication or authorization status, and then just drop them immediately into the off flow. You know, could be five milliseconds, it could be five seconds, depending on your back end and everything and latency. But if you just save that token, you reduce that round trip you have to make to the back end. So just simple thing like that, make sure you do that. The other side that I like to do is basically use React Navigation's, oh, what is it? I think it's, it's navigation.reset, and you can basically reset the app to whatever navigation status you want. So I'll just drop it, reset the app to the authentication status after deleting the token, and it's all good to go. The way that I typically do this is, again, looking at that navigation or the, the app structure where I have kind of authorization sitting up at the top and then wrapping my, my navigations below that as a child of it, I like to use a ref to that navigation container so that I don't have to try and figure this out from a screen perspective. I can hold that ref and pass that to my authorization logic and basically everything off that authorization related sits inside of my authorization manager and then my navigation just needs to say, you know, call log out or you know sign out or revoke off whatever whatever you want to call it there's just one function that the auth manager context passes down to anywhere in the app call that and then it just it'll go ahead and manage everything from my auth manager deleting the token signing them out and changing the navigation state so navigation container can hold a ref and that's a great way to actually do all of that that's pretty slick yeah. And fun fact, the full stack React Native social media app I'm working on, I cover all of this stuff of actually managing authorization in the app. 
so you can kind of see what that workflow looks like. I'll make sure to uh, add a link to that code so you can just read the code until that class comes out. Perfect. And sort of along those lines, you have quite a few little tutorials and videos on this topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I said, lots of people have this question. I get confused by it, so like I write a lot of stuff to just reference it. So if you want to learn about authentication, I've got a whole topic on React Native, uh, React Native School, on how to set it up. A lot of it's a bit older, so if you see Meteor in the title, I'd maybe avoid that because it's been years and years since I used Meteor, but you could see what the workflows kind of look like or my development of the workflow over the years of working with React Native. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. Authentication, it, it it's important, it takes some work, but if you kind of, as with anything, if you take a moment, plan it out, you'll figure it out. Just find some code to reference and kind of follow along with that, with, with what that code is doing. Cool. Well, if anybody has any questions or um, if you're doing auth differently, your auth workflow, we'd love to hear about it. You can tweet us at rnnerds, shoot us an email, thenerds at reactnativenerds.com. Or hit up the website, reactnativenerds.com, find an episode, and leave a comment. And if you're really bored, you can log in and leave us a review. Yeah, we'd love to see a review. Be awesome. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, and we'll see you next time. All right. See you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. You can get show notes and leave comments at reactnativenerds.com.